You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our lead pastor, Rick Hand, with this week's message. Okay, so one big problem we have with fulfilling the mission is a lot of times the mission gets derailed before it even gets started. That before we can even step into the mission, we just find ways for the mission to not happen. Uh, We've got a word for it, you know, excuses. Y'all know what excuses are, right? Uh, Anybody ever given somebody an excuse? Let me say this also. Excuses are different from reasons. Those are two different things, right? Okay, so now reason is, is, is why you absolutely really maybe couldn't or shouldn't or whatever, but an excuse is something. Now, I, I Googled, and uh, I, I want to share with you my nine favorite reasons, or excuses, I'm sorry, my nine favorite excuses that uh, I found online. Now, these are excuses for all kinds of things, not doing homework, not showing up, not helping a friend, not helping a neighbor, being late to work, all those kinds. Here's my nine favorites that I found, okay? My goldfish is sick or depressed, you know, whichever it is in your, in your life. Or, and, you know, and you can change that out for whichever pet it is at home. And uh, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard that one before. Uh, second one, I'm teaching my mom how to use Instagram. Now, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of a new one, right? And, uh, uh, but that's one of my favorites. So number three is uh, whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing, it reminds me of a traumatic childhood experience, and my therapist doesn't think it's a good idea for me to help. And that's a mouthful, but that's, that, that's really a, tr- a, a true excuse that, that has been used. Here's, here's one that you probably heard before. It was leg day yesterday at the gym. <laughs> I'll never say never, but I will never have to give that excuse, right? Uh, but some of you, it's too cold outside. I thought I might hear a couple of amens out there in the crowd today, right? Now, if, the, if that's number one, two, three, four, five, six, well, there, there's the next one. If it's too cold outside, well, on another day, it's too hot outside. And the next one, I think this is also, uh, oh, no, this, this is a, a good one. I drank expired milk, and so I, I can't help or whatever. And the next one, this is one of my favorites also. I got my finger stuck in a bowling ball. Now, I've never had anyone tell me that one. I would just say, just come on and worship God, you know, however you have to, Right. And then the last one uh, is my monster energy drink reacted with my medication. <laughs> and so if it does, I guess you might have an excuse to stay home. Um, so just maybe to pull us in a little bit and uh, to keep everything kind of light here as we remember what we're talking about. And we're talking about excuses, how silly some of these things are for the stuff that they were actually posed toward. But what we really want to talk about right here, and at least I do, I don't know, you might not as soon as I get this started but the excuses we use to not serve Jesus. You know, that's the ones we really want to dig in here. So, you know, you know and, and, and I've got six of them here. And these are, again, these are my six favorites. And they're not in any particular order as far as like this is number one or this is number six. But I just really want to begin right here is the first one is I am too young. Now, I've heard, I've heard people say that uh, most of my ministry, well, well you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a kid, or I, I'm, I've just been a Christian just for a little short while or whatever. I'm just a teenager, and I can't, listen, if you're a teenager, you know, don't look around to your mom or dad right now. If you're a teenager and you're a Christian, then your response, Jesus didn't die through your family to get to you. You have a personal relationship with him. 
And if you're a teenager, you've got something to do. You remember uh, in, in the book of Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, this is in the Bible, Paul tells Timothy, he says, don't let anyone despise youth. And I've got the scripture in the sermon notes if you want to go look at it. He says, don't let anyone despise your youth. He's basically saying, you know, don't, don't, don't worry. If somebody looks down on you for being young, don't worry. Now, I don't know how young Timothy was, but he was young enough that this might have been a problem. And so Paul addresses it. And, uh, you know, that there were probably be some people around him because Paul is a pastor. And some people think, well, you're too young to be a pastor. Why are you leading me? But then Paul goes on. He says, don't let anyone despise your youth and be an example to everyone. He doesn't say be an example to the people your age. He doesn't say be an example to people younger than you, but be an example to everyone. So regardless, of, you may think that you're young, but if you're a Christian, you got something awesome to do for Jesus. Now, if that's the first, what do you think the second one might be that I've got up there? Yeah, yeah. I'm too old to be used of God. And I, I, I don't even know where this comes from. You know, I want to say thank God for older Christians in my life. Because I can't imagine where I would be without older Christians in my life. And if you're an older Christian, you're saying, well, I'm too old and let somebody else do it now, or I don't have anything left to give. Understand, there is somebody who is going to be standing one day like where I'm standing and saying, I don't know what I would have done if that older Christian had not been in my life. You know, there's a scripture in the book of Hebrews, and you've probably heard it countless times if you've been around church very much. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 where uh, the writer says, uh, forsake not the, this is the King James, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. Break that down a little bit in, uh, not King James, but 2022 uh, Southern English right here. It, may, it means don't skip out on church and as the day gets closer, make sure you don't do it even more so. Okay, that's kind of how maybe we might say it in our broken English or whatever. Don't skip out on church, and as you see the day approaching, now what day is it? We believe that he's talking about the day of the Lord, right? So like the end of time. But you know, a lot, a lot of Christians have died that never saw the end of time, but they saw the end of their days. You know, think, so think about this. Would it not also be appropriate to use that scripture to say, don't skip out on church, and not just talking about the attendance, but don't skip out on your stuff, but even more so, as you see the end of your days approaching, that it's not time to back up and, and you get to a place and, 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 and you say, well, I, I've done all I can do. Let somebody else do it. There's a lot of young people that can do it or I don't have anything else to give. But the older you get, I think probably the more you ought to be bearing down with whatever you've got or the wisdom that is there and we don't need to lose that. So that's two excuses debunked. How about let's go to another one. This is one of my favorites also. I don't have enough time. You know what, you know what, you, you know what, what's code for that? that that's kind of code for I'm too busy, right? And you know what, I'm too busy is code for it, don't you? It says, I've got this much time and I've already allotted my time and you didn't make the cut. I mean, that's, that's what it says. When somebody tells me they don't have time for me, they got all this stuff in there, I didn't make the cut in the amount of time they have. You know what, as I look back and I've thought about this this week, somebody said something that made me think about it in this way. So I look back and I think at all the people who lived epic lives, I don't recall of one of them ever saying they didn't have enough time. The people that did epic things in this world, the people that what you and I might call heroes, I don't remember ever hearing one of them saying, I don't have enough time. Thank God Jesus had three years that he actually did ministry here on the earth. Or thank God he didn't say, I don't have enough time. 
but that he, he did have enough time. And, and the next one's really close to that, very similar. I forgot. Or something came up. Boy, that's a big one these days, isn't it? I forgot, or something came up. I think a lot of us today, we don't respond to those requests too much because we want to we wanna wait and see if something better comes up. You know, you're trying to take me out to Mexico, and somebody else might want to be taking me out to a steak if I just wait a little, a little bit, right? And so if I, don't, if, if I don't commit too soon, something came up, or I forgot. There was a, uh, you know, I'll I, I just tell you this quick story if I can. When, when Dave and I were, were uh, ministering in, uh, in state leadership, and, and uh, the smallest state, which was actually a region that we served in, was the Great Lakes region. And uh, we, uh, we were regional youth directors of youth and Christian education. And uh, that was Chicagoland and uh, kind of everything north of that. Chicagoland, Wisconsin, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And let me tell you, y'all think it's cold here. It gets cold there. The coldest I've ever been in my life was January in Green Bay. Green Bay. And those, those people out there that are uh, watching football games in January in Green Bay, they're just, they're just total idiots, right? And so I was, I was, uh, I was there. I was serving. I was, I was number two in the region. You know, I got one, got one guy over me. He's my boss, you know, and, but that means he's number one. And as, as we say a lot of times, it's not as glamorous as it sounds, okay? But uh, uh, he uh, was out of town, and... Um, and uh, he was coming back in. Well, you know, that weekend, I, um, I, got, my, I got my work done. Uh, this was a Saturday night or maybe even a Sunday night. I got everything done and I uh, got home. And I know we'd already eaten dinner. And uh, I kind of retreated down to the family cave. We didn't have a man cave. We had a family cave. You know, and, and was watching some TV. And then all of a sudden, I remember, <gasps> I'm supposed to pick up the administrative overseer in 30 minutes. Now, I don't know if y'all know anything about Chicago. Everything in Chicago is one hour away. Unless you're going to the grocery store, it's one hour away. And uh, so, you know, I am running upstairs grabbing stuff and grabbing my coat, grabbing my keys and all those things and yelling at David, tell her where I'm going. I got to get to O'Hare Airport because his plane lands in 30 minutes and I got to get parked and get in to help him with his bags, he and his wife and all that. And, and I'm hurrying. And, you know, hey, it was weekend. It was uh, kind of late in the evening. And so the, cra- uh, the, the traffic wasn't quite as bad as normal. God was with me. I don't know if they got delayed or what ha- whatever happened, but I am, I am flying into it. Didn't break any speed limit so as you can tell and flying into O'Hare you know and I'm getting there and my phone rings and I look down and you know that's because man I, what I, I'm worried he's standing on the curb you know with his bags already you know and maybe my pink slip as well right uh, and because hey it's Chicago it's cold you know and uh, and so I, I get this phone I look down and I open it up and and he says hey I went ahead and got my bags just meet us at the curb we'll be coming out such and such door about 30 seconds later, I pull up to that door, park, sit there. Two minutes later, they walk out. <laughs> How many of y'all thought that the first thing I did instead of running upstairs, getting dressed, getting in the car was I called and said, well, you know what? I forgot. I'm sorry. I can't pick you up today because I forgot. How many of y'all thought, I, no, I didn't even tell him I forgot when he came to the car and I was already sitting there. Just had it nice and warm for him and, you know, and all of that kind of thing. I didn't tell him. Why? Because when you say, I forgot, when you say, I forgot, I got too many other things on my plate, and you're not one of the most important things on my plate. We're talking about excuses that we use to not serve Jesus. Boy, now we're talking real poignant here, aren't we? Let, let, let's, let's wrap these up right here. Uh, I think I got two more. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. I'm not talented. I'm not, t- man, that's a big one, isn't it? I can't do anything. Last week, we talked about anointing, and we talked about 
about a little part in there, we talked about how just having a talent doesn't make you anointed. Guess what? Being anointed doesn't mean that you're talented. There are a ton of people that would not be considered talented by the world's standards at all that are doing amazing ministry for Jesus Christ. And if you aren't talented, you know who knows that better than you, anybody in this world? God does. And if he calls you, he called you just as you are. And he gave you abilities that maybe nobody else, maybe you can't play something up here or sing or teach, or any, maybe you can't do any of those things, but you've got something inside of you. We say it around here all the time. It's one of our mottos. It's like everybody has something awesome to do for Jesus. That means everybody sitting here does. And, and, and even the really small ones that are in the room with us, they may not be able to do it yet, but everyone has something awesome to do for Jesus. And the last one right here is I don't know where to start. Okay, I'm going to cover that one just a little later, okay? So stick with me on this. I don't know where to start. You see, here, and here's, here's what I believe is the problem why we do this. Here's why we do this. is for too many people, the next slide for me, Kevin, too many people, too many churchgoers, their faith has become inconsequential. You know what I mean? Because I can listen to a sermon and it doesn't change anything about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I can, I can sing a song. I can read a scripture. I can pray a prayer, but it doesn't change anything about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That our faith, our Christianity has become inconsequential. But this sermon series is about following. And to follow means you, you do something. You know, you do something. You don't just, I mean, that's one of the things we talked about at the very first of the sermon series, is you don't just believe, you, you follow. There's something to do if you follow Jesus. This sermon series is not, is not believe, it's follow. There may be a lot of believers out here, but we're talking about following here. And when you follow, that means you do something you're walking, you're going. It doesn't, it's not like just, you know, clicking a button, you know, on, on Facebook or something, and now you're following. That's not what following Jesus is. To follow means you are doing something. Let me give you an example. Anybody ever heard of C.T. Studd? C.T. Studd, what a name. How'd you like to be Studd, guys? <laughs> C.T. Studd. I, I don't know him. I, I would never pull the name out, but if you had said, how, do you know the guy that said this or said this? I'd say, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that guy. Here's, here's some of the things that C.T. Studd said, some of his quotes. <clears throat> some wish to live within, within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. This is a, this is a guy that, uh, as, as he was going into the mission field, he explained when people said, why, why are you doing this? And he said, for that reason. He wrote a poem, and a lot of people know this, this, these first two lines. And, and this is not the first or the only part of the poem. This is stuck in the middle of the poem. And some of you have heard this. This will sound familiar. This is probably the most popular portion of the, of the poem that he wrote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Uh, Lanny Wolf, some of you my age would know that name. He wrote a song based on that. So some of you might have started kind of singing that song a little bit there. And he, he wrote that. And then something else that he said, 
And he said this, uh, I think this was early on, right before he went in the mission field also. It is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. How did he get to this place? Let me tell you, let me tell you. Okay. Now, a lot of people think Christians and missionaries and, you know, all those kinds of idiots that do things, crazy things like that for God, you know, and would move to foreign countries and, you know, third world and do, go to all that trouble. That They're just losers that really don't, don't have a life right now anyway. That's not C.T. Studd. He was born into a family of affluence. They had lots of money. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how much in just a second, okay? Um, they had lots of money. He had the best education that you could buy in, in England. That's where he was from. He went to, uh, he went to um, oh, Eton. I'm sorry. Lost it there for a second. He went to Eton College, and then he went to Trinity College at Cambridge. He was, uh, he was a world-class cricketer. You don't know what that is? It's kind of like baseball, but not here. You know, and we think you know, baseball is the thing or football is the thing. No, there are tens of hundreds of times more people playing cricket than there are playing baseball. And so you know, he, was, he, was, he was like the Freddie Freeman of, the, of his day, but in cricket instead of baseball. Sorry for any of you who aren't uh, Atlanta Braves fans, okay? Uh, I mean, he had, a, he had a, a 30 point something lifetime batting average. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you go look it up and see what it, it actually was a lot. He had 444 career wickets. I'm assuming that's something like home runs. I don't know. But if, if he played today with those numbers, he would be out, out of the thousands of professional players that are playing cricket. Y'all didn't know, there are thousands. You know, we think our sport's a big year. In the thousands of people playing today, if he played with those numbers today, he would be in the top 50 in the world. And not just in England and in India, but in the world. And he only played five years where most of all those other, all those other guys that would be ahead of him played for 12, 15, or even more years. See, he had, he had a life out in front of him. He had money, he had, he had honor, he had respect, he had, he, you know, he was, kind of, he was a jock, you know, he had all of those things going for him. He got saved at the age of 18, came to know Jesus Christ, and about six years later, his older brother got sick, and when he watched his older brother get sick and almost die, it's when he started thinking, it is worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. Because he realized that cricket won't be around forever. Honor and trophies won't be around forever. This life that we have won't be around forever. And so he left and he went to China first. And while he was in China, his father died and left him an inheritance of, in today's dollars, over $5 million. And he gave every pound of it away. Every pound of it. One story is told that he had just a little bit left over, and when he and his wife got married, they had this little bit left over. He said, I don't know what to do about this. And she said, you remember that, that rich young guy that came to Jesus? And Jesus said, sell all and follow me. And he said, yeah. And they gave that last bit away. All, over $5 million. So he, this, this wasn't a loser. This was a guy that had the world at his feet in the late 1800s. And he went to, he went to um, China, then he came back to England, and he went to India. Then he heard how things were in Africa, and he went to Africa against, against everybody's wishes. You, you can't go to the Congo, and he went anyway. 
and that's where he died, was on the mission field. His biographer, uh, the little quote at the bottom there, Kevin, for me, Norman Grubb, says his life, about C.T. Stubb, his life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. What, what is easygoing Christianity? Now, wait a minute. That, that, that phrase right there challenged me when I read that. Easygoing Christianity. Uh, uh, is that in the Bible? Some of you scholars help me. Is that in the Bible? Easygoing Christianity? I mean, what, what is there? And here's this guy that gave up more than most of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room will have together, and he gave it all up to follow Jesus. What is it? Easygoing Christianity. His life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. What, what, what does this mean? I, I, I think I can sum this up for you just a little bit right here. This little simple thing right here. Go ahead to the next slide for me, Kevin. Believing is easygoing. Following has a cost. You can believe all day and it not cost you a thing. You can sit here and believe every single Sunday and it not cost you. But when you start to follow, it's going to cost you something. But somehow we've gotten to the place in uh, modern day Christianity that we feel like we can be a Christian through just believing without following. But as we said early on in this sermon series also, you need a real faith, and if you've got a real, a true faith, it will not allow you to just believe. But that belief will cause you to be hungry to follow. And that hunger to follow will cost you something. I started making a list back I don't know, weeks and weeks ago, and I didn't know where it was going to fit into this, this sermon series on follow, and I started making this list weeks ago about the very first followers. And, and, and incidentally, if you think that Jesus only had 12, you're missing it. Jesus, we know one time he sent out 70 to preach. They went out preaching, and then he sent the 12 out one time to preach. And we know in the book of Acts, chapter 1, that there were 120 that were praying all together on the day of Pentecost when the power of the Holy Spirit fell. So we know he had more followers. Than that. But he, he had thousands of believers. But he had some handfuls of followers. Yet with handfuls of followers, Jesus turned this world upside down. They changed lives of people throughout, throughout history, throughout the day. So, so I started making this list. I said, yeah, this is where it fits because maybe we don't know what following even means anymore. So let's look back to the first followers, specifically those 12, right? The first followers, okay? They weren't perfect. Man, don't you wish, if I had a marker and I could go up there, we could all check that one off, right? We're good followers because we're not perfect. Yeah, they weren't perfect. And, and I only gave you one scripture there, but if you ask me after, after service, I'll give you some other examples. There's only one right there, that you, but you can look it up later, but there are plenty more. They believed the world needed a Savior. They believed this, that the world, we, the world, they've got to have a Savior. They liked being with Jesus. They wanted to spend time with him. You know, they, they didn't wake up on Sunday trying to look for an excuse to not be with him. I mean, they, they were like trying to find, how, how, can, how can I spend more time with Jesus? They trusted Jesus. When, uh, even when they didn't understand, they trusted Jesus. They believed in Jesus' plan. They didn't question his, yeah, they did sometimes because they weren't perfect. 
but they believed in his plan. When he said this, then they believed in his plan. They wanted to pray so much that they asked Jesus to teach them how. I mean, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm twisting people's arms to pray. The first followers wanted to pray so badly, they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. There's the scripture right there where they ask him. And he taught them to pray using the Lord's Prayer. And it's given to us as an example of all the ways and the things that we should and could pray for in our life. They were totally bought in. Jesus sent those 12 out to preach. So they came back. Man, they were so excited about what, what had happened through their preaching and, and prayers for people. Because they didn't go at it halfway. And because they didn't go at it halfway, Jesus also didn't go at it halfway. If we give our all, he gives his all. But you know what that means, don't you? You know, think of what, what does that mean? If I give my all and he gives his all, who's the better off for that? Because of what he can do. And the last one, they forfeited much for him. Now, I, I know you may be thinking about how uh, we know about some of them definitely, but, but tradition says how every one of them besides Judas died a martyr in John uh, on the Isle of Patmos. We all, we all know they died martyrs. They died for the sake. But I'm not just talking about how they died. I'm talking about how they lived. They forfeited. In the scripture right here, Simon Peter tells you, Jesus, you know, we've given up everything for you. They gave up their homes. They gave up their plans, much like C.T. Stud. They gave up, you know, everything they were. They gave up their businesses and, and how they were going to live their lives and the futures that they were going to have. The families and, and bouncing, just, you know, just being old with his grandpa and bouncing the grandkid on the knee and all, they gave all of that up. They forfeited so much to follow Jesus. Now, I made this list, as I said, several, several weeks ago. And when I drug it back out last week or this week, you know, stuck it in this sermon as, as I was preparing these last two sermons and kind of sticking all the stuff around, I was like, this goes here kind of stuff. And, and I, and I read through this one as a pastor. Let me tell you, not when I built this list, but this past week, I think it was, as I read through it again, I thought, you know what, my thought was this. My number one thought as a pastor was this. I wish every one of you would be blessed enough to have these kind of people in your life. That'd be an awesome thing, wouldn't it? To have a best friend like this. Talk about a that stupid friend. I can't explain that one right now, but talk about somebody that really could just, just challenge you and encourage you. But that's not why I created this list. It wasn't so that you could be around people like that. But my prayer and hope is that we could be people like that. So I want to take a minute. I want to take just a minute. I want you to look at that list up there. Now, we've already said we can cross off the first one because, yeah, we got that one right. No perfect people in the house, right? Right, right, right. No, we got that one. I want you to take a second. I want you to look at that. Is there, is there, is there a place that you could ask, Jesus, help me be more like those first followers in this area? Or maybe a couple, or maybe three. This list is in the sermon notes so that you can look back at it this week. I pray you do. I pray you pray this week. And you ask Jesus, help me be more like those first followers. And where do I need to work? I, I, I know I'm talking, but I'm, I'm taking time right here for you to consider this. Poignant, poignant moments in the service today for us to consider. Where do I need to be more like those first followers?
So let me wrap up with three points right here, three things. First off is I'm looking for dreamers. And when we launched 2911, we were really looking for dreamers. We didn't have anything but a few people, so we were looking for dreamers. I'm still looking for dreamers. This year, 2022, there are some people that God sees already in the future. He sees that we are going to reach in 2022. I'm looking for the dreamers that are going to help us do that. And there are people in 2022 that maybe the jury's still out. Jesus knows. He, he already knows. But that we might reach, that we could reach in 2022. And I'm looking for dreamers. I'm looking for followers, not just believers, but followers who say, I, I, I want to I be a part of making sure we reach everybody we're supposed to reach in 2022. I'm looking for dreamers. I'm, I'm, when I say that, I mean I'm preaching for dreamers. My sermon today is, is I'm preaching for dreamers to pull you out of, of, of just your, your place of believing, to pull you out of that. Back to a place of following if, you, if you've left it or if you've never been there to get you to a place. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching for dreamers today to find out. Okay, and here, here's the second thing. I told you I'd, I'd bring this back up, didn't I, when you said, well, I don't know where to start. Where do you serve? Anywhere. Anywhere. Let me give you, let me give you a quick illustration if I can. You're walking down the road, okay, walking down the street, and uh, you see somebody's house, storm night before, a couple of columns, posts, blew off of their porch, their, their porch roof is sagging a little bit, and you see the, the posts are right there, and you think, man, if I was just a carpenter, I'd go over there, and I could put those back up for them, and all that, and all that, you know, and, but I'm not a carpenter, so maybe a carpenter will come along in a little while, right? And so you can justify continuing to walk on down the street because you're not a carpenter, you know, and, you know, you, you say, well, I, I'd probably do more damage than good if I went over and tried now, I, I want to say you could go knock on the door and just offer to help, right? But let's say we just say, well, I'm not a carpenter, so I don't. And there, there's an easy excuse. Maybe not reason, but it, there's an easy excuse. But if the same thing happens, but instead of you seeing those posts that have fallen off because you're walking down the road, you see them because you wake up in the morning and you walk out on your porch and your porch has those posts laying down in the front yard. What do you do? Do you say, well, I'll wait for a carpenter to show up. If you do, you might lose your porch before he gets there. No, you find a way, don't you? You do something. And so let me tell you, I've seen so many people paralyzed by this. I don't know where to start. And so I'm just waiting on God to tell me where to start. Quit waiting. When you see the posts off the porch, when you see a hole, when you see a place that needs, if this is, if it's your house, you don't wait on the carpenter. If it's your house, if it's your church, if it's the place God has called you and he's given you a vision for you, say, I want to be a part of this, and you're a dreamer, and you're not just believing, but you're following, then you're going to say, wait a minute, I see something needs to be done. I'm not waiting on a call out of heaven. I like that. There's somebody that David quotes all the time, and I can't ever remember who it was. You'll have to ask her who said it. But he said, but this preacher was asked, how did you know to do this, to start this ministry? And he said, how did, how did you get this calling? He said, the need was the call. When I saw the need, I knew I was called to do something for this. 
And here, here, here's, the, here's the last thing, the finalize the sermon. The last one is serving doesn't end with a final amen this morning. For a lot of people, that's the way their Christian service is over. When the last person, when somebody says amen or, or you're dismissed, or hope to see it, whatever, when the last thing happens up here on this stage, that's not when it ends. You know, Dave and I were watching, watching a, a, a documentary this week, and, and they were talking in this documentary. It wasn't about the space race, but in it, they were talking about they were talking about Apollo 11. You know, that's where the men first walked on the moon, and so they were showing the launch and everything, and they showed the countdown: 10, 9, 8. So now imagine this. Okay, y'all probably heard that if you've ever watched the launch. You know, uh, seven, six, ignition, four, three, two. One, we have liftoff. We have liftoff. Apollo 11 is on its way to the moon. Okay, everybody. And the guy continues. Okay, everybody. Don't forget to turn off your computer, clean up your workstations, and everybody go home, get a good night's rest. Imagine if he'd said that. The mission had just started. It's just a launch. That was just a launch. That was just the beginning. Everything that meant anything was happening after that. In the same way, when we say amen here, that's like we have liftoff. And everything that matters, everything that is going to, to matter at all in, in, in eternity is pretty much going to happen after we say amen. This is just the launch. And we got to start looking again for what God has called us to do and to be in the future. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.